Can you believe this? How incredibly unfair. All I've done my whole life is to obey my father and work this farm. And what have I gotten out of it? I'll tell you what I've gotten out of it. Tired muscles and a sore back. That's what I've gotten out of it. My rotten little brother comes back after deserting his duties, disrespecting our family, and wasting his inheritance. And what do they do? They honor him with the fatted calf, the finest fare, and a party. No one has ever offered to have a party for me in my honor. Oh, no. I've never gotten to wear that robe. All I get is work and responsibility. It's just not fair. It's just not just. Burr. It's getting fairly chilly out here, don't you think? And it really does look warm and inviting in there. I really am hungry. Boy, that meat smells good, and look at all of those sweets they're serving. They've even brought out the fine wine. Oh, a glass of that would taste incredible right now. Maybe Father is right. Maybe I should go in and join the party. After all, he is my brother. No, no, I won't. It's just not fair. I refuse to celebrate him at my expense. If we're being honest with ourselves, how many of us don't feel that way at times? We're the elder son left wondering where our justice is in the face of what we see as unwarranted help and assistance or the request from help for others. But if we take a closer look at the story, where does that leave the character? Isn't he left standing in the chill, isolated in his sense of righteousness, forgoing the bounties of riches offered to all? Who was really hurt by his actions? I'm sure his father and brother were disappointed that he didn't join them, but he is the one left out alone. In viewing the world from a theology of scarcity, he prevents himself from partaking in what clearly was a wonderful event, a feast and food of, and love for his returning brother, a chance to celebrate God's gift of family. Was an injustice truly done? His father is quick to remind the elder son that all he has, all he sees, remains his. No promise was broken, no riches denied. Nothing is being taken from his son. He will still receive all that he was promised him. Nothing being offered the prodigal son comes at his expense. Indeed, the younger son is being welcomed back home, back into the love of his family, but his inheritance isn't being restored. In loving and forgiving his wayward son, no less love and forgiveness is afforded the remaining son. Out of a theology of abundance, justice is indeed being done, justice and compassion for all. In this story, painted a bit simplistically, we want to see ourselves as the prodigal son, the forgiven one welcomed back into God's arm and the benefactor of the celebration. In this season of Lent, 
In our time of reflection and searching, it feels secure and comforting. Knowing that God, like the Father, continues to scan the horizon for us when we've lost our way, and on seeing us from afar, rushes out to meet us with outstretched arms and forgiving words, surrounds us with hope. On that level, the parable assures us that through grace and love, all we need to do is ask for forgiveness, and we are forgiven, restored to Christ's family. But it is also a parable of abundance over scarcity, of the responsibility in being part of Christ's family, and of discerning who our brothers and sisters in Christ are. What do I mean by this? Isn't it obvious who the family in this parable is? Not necessarily. Obvious and Jesus are not words easily linked in the same sentence. It is easy to forget how subversive Jesus was and remains today. When I first read today's pericope, I thought the opening line's a bit odd. Why not just start with the parable itself? Yet these lines set the context for the action. They frame the story. The tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts of society, were gathering to listen to Jesus, while the Pharisees and scribes, the religious insiders, the established community, grumbled over Jesus' inclusion of them. His audacity at sharing table fellowship with these outcasts and sinners. For in Jesus' culture, table fellowship was a serious matter. One only ate with those of acceptable and equal honor in place. To eat with someone was to give your approval to that person, to wholly accept them for who they were. In welcoming and eating with sinners and outcasts, Jesus is making it clear that all who believe, all who desire, are part of God's family, our family. It is a gentle reminder that we as the established church, the dominant culture, are now the Pharisees and scribes of our day. It prompts us to ask, are we grumbling as the Pharisees and scribes of old, judging who is and who isn't worthy of coming to our table? Are we acting out of a theology of scarcity as the elder brother, seeing the resources given to others as a personal loss, somehow diminishing us rather than an opportunity to celebrate family and the enrichment of all, including ourselves? Are we like so many these days, stuck in a win-loss worldview that places the individual paramount to the community, to God's family? Or can we rise to the example of the welcoming father who proclaimed, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and now he's found. Are we scanning the horizons for our lost sisters and brothers, searching for their return, ready to welcome them home with a celebration of shared riches? Lent is a time of reflection, 
of taking stock of ourselves and our relationship to God. It's not about beating ourselves up or feeling guilty. It is about clearing away those behaviors, thoughts, and fears that keep us from God. It is about visioning a new way of being Christ's family and the continuing call of creating God's kingdom on earth. It is a stark reminder that what we do on Sunday does not make us a Christian, but rather it is what we do Monday through Saturday that counts. Jesus calls us to be disciples, to go into the world spreading his message of love with our words and our actions. Church, our fellowship together is important and wonderful, but it was never intended to be the pinnacle of our faith but rather the source of our energy and equipping us to go out into the world. We are called to be the disciples of our day. Christ died to turn the world upside down, to show us a new and better way. In the hustle and bustle of our daily lives, it is easy to lose our way. To believe the naysayers when they claim God's kingdom on earth is not possible who laugh that it is a naive and silly dream. I admit, there are moments when I am so overwhelmed with today's news and with the heartless words I hear proclaimed that I feel like this. But then I see God's love in the face of a child. I hear God's voice in the laughter of my sisters and brothers, and I know that it is real. It is a possibility. I am reminded that God waits like the patient father, scanning the horizon, forgiving and welcoming. It is up to us. We are God's people. So on this Sunday in Lent, as you prepare to come to the table today, I invite you to ask yourself, what is keeping you from God? What fears and stumbling blocks can you leave on the altar rail? Can you hand to Christ as you meet him here today? This church is so blessed with riches, riches of spirit and riches of assets. The love you have for one another shines within these walls. How much richer would we all be if we could shine as brightly outside? Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.